Hello, hello, hello. It's On The Ledge podcast, episode 124. I'm your host, Jane Perone. You know what happened after I finished recording the Hoya tour from last week's episode, episode 123? I realised once the episode had gone out that I forgot a Hoya. I knew I had 13 and I only talked about a dozen of them. So uh, first things first, I need to tell you about that final Hoya. We'll also be meeting listener Jesse East Ward, answering a question about a yellowing Diefenbachia. And in the main chunk of the show, an interview with herbologist and chef Maya Thomas about, well, everything really. Question. What do Jack, Patty, Stephanie and Andy all have in common? Answer. Well, they've all become patrons of On The Ledge podcast this week. So thank you very much to you you give me life and you are helping to grow on the ledge and take us to even greater heights. Find out how you can become a patron at janeperone.com. And there's also details there of how to give a one-off donation via co-fi.com and support the show in lots of other ways. Don't forget the On The Ledge shop, which offers you the chance to buy wonderful On The Ledge merchandise featuring our fantastic logo designed by Jacqueline Collie. T-shirts, hoodies, hats, mouse mats, it's all there. So do take a look at the shop. The link is in the top right-hand corner at my website, janeperone.com. So before I forget Hoyas, 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 the one I forgot is the lovely Hoya Australis Lisa. How could I forget this plant? Well, it was sitting on my kitchen windowsill where I normally don't keep Hoyas. So I think it just got a little bit hidden and forgotten when I was pulling those plants together for my tour. Uh, But it's a really nice plant. My one is a fairly small specimen that I picked up. I bought it from North One Garden Centre. Regular listeners will know I'm a bit of a fan of that particular shop. So this was bought there last year sometime. I can't quite remember when as a smallish plant. I think it's actually two cuttings in a pot and so far it's going up <laughs> the, the, the stems haven't got long enough to be the point where they start to droop down but the foliage on this plant is really lovely if you can imagine a leaf that starts out at its margins in the darkest darkest possible green and then in an irregular random pattern becomes ever lighter to move towards a pale green lime green centre it's glossy, it's leathery, it's a lovely hoya leaf. And the nice thing about this plant also is that the new leaves come through this rather lovely carmine pink colour and you do get flashes of carmine pink in the leaves as well and in the stem, depending on how much light the plants are in. So this is a really, really nice hoya. I can't wait for this to get bigger and start to trail. It's an easy one. I would say it's as easy as your regular carnosas and so on. I think it's also fairly easy to get hold of now. So it's one of those kind of entry Hoyas that will really get you into this particular genus of plants. So I apologise, Lisa, for forgetting you. I do love you very much. 
and um, yeah if you've got a Lisa that's a bit bigger and more developed I'd love to see a picture so I can see what my plant's going to turn into so there we go that's number 13 I don't think it's going to be long before my Hoya collection becomes even bigger I just discovered a website in the Netherlands that sells loads of rooted and unrooted Hoya cuttings there's also somebody in the UK who sells on eBay so as soon as the weather warms up yeah, I think I might be adding to my collection somewhat. Uh, yeah, I'm going a bit Hoya crazy right now, but I just can't get enough of these plants. And thanks to all of you who responded to last week's Hoya tour. It seems you can't get enough of Hoyas either. So do share your Hoya pictures with me. I'd love to see your collections and what plants you have. And, you know, do get in touch for uh, any cutting swaps because, you know, I'm totally up for that if you happen to be in the UK. And now it's time to meet the listener. My name is Jesse East Ward, and I live in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, in the United States. My first real houseplant was a Chefalera that was given to me when I was about 14. This is when I really first started to take an interest in houseplants, and I've loved them ever since. For years, I've had more plants than I have a reasonable amount of space for, and since I've started listening to On the Ledge, that problem has only been compounded. Question one. There's a fire and all your plants are about to burn. Which one do you grab as you escape? This is such a difficult question. So many of my plants have been with me for years and have their own stories. But if I had to choose, I think it would be my Euphorbia trigonia, or African milk tree. I would choose this one because it has grown the most in the time that I've had it. It was given to me by a friend about seven years ago and was only four inches or 10 centimeters tall. Now it's about 40 inches or one meter tall. Question two. What is your favorite episode of On the Ledge? My favorite episode is number 17 about Pilea peperomioides. This was the first episode that I ever listened to, and I love to know the history behind things, so hearing the story behind this plant was the perfect introduction to your podcast for me. A friend of mine owns a flower shop, and he hid baby pileas around the town and posted about it on social media for people to find. My kids and I went on a hunt, and that is how we got our pilea. Question three. Which Latin name do you say to impress people? I'd have to say Sansevieria trifasciata, um, just because it's a very well-known plant, but people know it as the snake plant or mother-in-law's tongue. And so when they hear the technical name behind it, they get a little baffled. Question four, crassulation, acid metabolism, or gutation? Gutation, because I have an orchid, Catlianthe fire dance patricia, that I purchased this year at the Philadelphia Flower Show, and it did this all summer long. Question five. Would you rather spend £200 on a variegated monstera or £200 on 20 interesting cacti? I'm a sucker for a good bargain, so I would definitely go for the interesting cacti and get more for my money. you are a woman after my own heart if you'd like to be featured on meet the listener then drop a line to on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and it could be your dulcet tones on the show 
very soon. I first met Maya Thomas at the Garden Museum's Houseplant Festival last year when she was part of a panel discussion about plants. Maya is a cook, writer and herbologist. She's worked in urban kitchen gardens across the UK, including the Chelsea Physic Garden, and she runs herbal workshops around the country. You can find her online at themodernherbal.com. And after hearing her speak, I knew I'd love to have a longer chat with Maya. So I headed down to meet her in her London home before Christmas and we chatted. Boy, did we chat. (laughs) The resulting interview is wide ranging, to say the least. We cover everything from plant health to herbs to why weeds are wonderful. We stray quite a long way from houseplants, but I hope that all of you will enjoy listening in on a chat between two planty people. Do check out the show notes as you listen at janeperone.com because there's lots of links in there to the things we talk about from more information about the Don't Risk It campaign, which is a UK government campaign to encourage people not to bring plant material back from overseas and a link to a piece I wrote about the community herb garden that I mentioned in this interview. I've decided to run this whole interview, which is about an hour long in one big chunk. So make yourself a cup of tea, settle down and have a listen. I mean, herbs are amazing and people are so... Like this, I'm always amazed by how little people understand where things come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I always try, if I'm making something and it's got some particular thing in it, and sometimes I don't know, and I'm thinking, I don't know where this comes from. Or how it's got. Or how, how is, and then it's, I always find it fascinating to look that stuff up. Like, what was it, mace? I was looking up mace and I was like, wow, that's blown my mind. I yeah. can't, can't believe what mace is. And I didn't, I didn't actually get to the point of looking up where they grow mace or how it, it's produced. Indonesia, is it Indonesia? Yeah, okay. well, a lot because it's the, the outer of the, yeah. the nutmeg. So yeah, yeah. Um, if you think back to the spice trade and, mm. when, you know, basically, I was trying to say this theory to my dad the other day. I was like, our whole economic system is basically based on the trade of plants. That's what it is. Mm, That's mm, what all mm. trade has been about. It's, you know, back in the medieval times, like four cardamom was the same cost as like a a labourer's yearly salary. Mm, Like, And I mean, it stretches across across the world doesn't it i mean cotton in america slavery i mean you you get into interestingly enough the chelsea physic garden if you go there they've got the original seeds that became like the most grown cotton in places like virginia and things like that was sent by chelsea physic garden the head garden there um out to america and it was it was yeah so it's 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 our whole history plants Mm. are our whole history and uh, i think that it's in the same way that we have become like so focused on how um our you know the provenance of our food where it's coming from um Mm. how has it got to here and we're all being slightly more ethical Mm. and we want our farmers Mm. markets and we want to be you know interacting with the producers and how is it growing no pesticides you know Mm. Mm. um I think in the same way we need to be that curious about our houseplants and things that we're bringing into our home. And it's not possible to grow everything locally. And we're not, we can't go back in time and particularly in the UK because we're a country that has been formulated on the, 
the fact that we had an empire and that we traded in all these places in a quite unhealthy way but I think that um, having all of um, that as part of our history you know it's great that you can come to the UK and eat all sorts of foods and, and mm. have all sorts of people living here that's amazing um, it's just being you know we've all we're all culpable we're all yeah. responsible mm. and I think just as individuals we have to if we can start to ask those questions a bit and, and nothing's going to be perfect we're not mm, all going to stop mm. flying overnight we're not all going to stop using plastic overnight but if we can start to ask some of the right questions mm. and that's where i think defra's campaign for plant healthy comes in so um talking to nicola spence who is chief <laughs> she's got a long title what is <laughs> so long it's like chief plant health officer and department director of plants and bee health and varieties and seeds. Oh my gosh! Okay, so she's got a lot on her plate. She has got a lot on her plate, <laughs> and I think her her Twitter handle is something like um, Plant Chief. Yeah, that's like good. That, that's which is great. Yeah. I love that we have a chief of plants in the UK. I think we that's need a, great a chief thing. of plants. We do. We need that person. We need that person. And um, you know, she and uh, Defra have recognised that because we've got all these, you know, we've got open borders, so to speak, mm. um, that it's very important that we're starting to protect a lot of, you know, some of the native species like oaks mm, and things mm. like that um, from pests and diseases. And as climate change, obviously, as our climate warms up, we're being confronted with new pests and diseases all the time. Mm, and it's mm. kind of, if you think about it, it's a logistical nightmare. And it's not just the plants that are, that are hosting some of these um, pests. It's also things like... Uh, crates, you know, the wooden crates that come in, they can hold mm, um, mm. particular pests that come in in the wood. Um, she said something brilliant, and you might have to talk to her about this to get it specifically, but our football, the turf on our football stadiums, they're heated from underneath. Mm. So you can't, disp- and obviously they have to change the turf mm. fairly regularly. You can't dispose of that turf just any which way because of the way that it's heated it can actually create a breeding ground that's perfect for particular bacteria in the soil so it has to be disposed of in a very specific way okay um so things like that that we Mm. wouldn't even think about and where's this turf coming from and how can we guarantee i mean it's it is you know Mm. i think that what has interests me is that this as you say the situation is complex there's a lot going on here and yet i often see quite a blasé attitude um amongst houseplant people to to the the idea that maybe we should be a little bit careful about where we're getting stuff from i mean i quite often see on facebook groups someone saying oh i'm going to the canary islands on holiday i'm going to bring back all these things and then people going maybe that's not a very good idea and then other people going stop being so negative like well we're not being negative just for the sake of being negative but actually because actually this is a serious issue that you know and and i think there's a lack of this sort of blase attitude possibly based uh, i'm sure on just a lack of information by people yeah i think it's and that is something that they've done i think they had a they had a don't risk it campaign Mm, that was mm. maybe some people saw it in airport was targeted particularly Mm. at people like that people going away and thinking oh i'd love to grow this at home and not Mm. thinking of the consequences Mm. of of that and um there isn't at the moment any legal procedure to stop people coming in with with things like that but there will be and mm. i think they're going to introduce that um 
one of the things that I sort of believe in vehemently is supporting our botanic gardens in this country. And I think, you know, the danger of having um, something that has essentially become a trend with which is great, you know, because any way people get can get into plants, I think it's brilliant. And if they find benefit from that, great. But the thing with trends is that you can, there's a section of people that will then want, I want something that's slightly different. I want something that's slightly more exotic. So I'm going to take a bit of a risk in trying to get that. And it's not just individuals taking risks. It, it could be, um, you know, shops and things like that, trying to get something new in that they can then get their sales up. So then they end up taking risks because Mm. those, those plants they're getting in, we don't know how they're being harvested. We, we don't know where they're coming from. Um, is there a legitimate, you know, um, nurseries that are breeding these plants or are they just being taken from the wild? We don't know any of that. And I think, um, you know, the reason that we have botanic well not the reason we have botanic gardens but one of the benefits of having botanic gardens is that you can go into a space where they have plants from all over the world where they're doing research into those plants Mm. you know the properties that they might contain for medicines or um how they helped a textile trade or something like that and plant collectors from you know the 18th and 19th century bringing those back where you can go you can you have to yeah of course you have to pay money to go in but that money generally goes to research and upkeep um and you can learn about those plants in a very specific curated atmosphere for that and um i think that you know particularly things like um, places like Chelsea Physic Arts and that, you know, they rely on on people coming and, and seeing the plants there and the glass houses there and all the ferns and different. You've got plants from all over the world there mm, in a, mm. a four-acre space in a secret garden in London. And I feel like not enough people know about the work yes, that they do yeah. there. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's that thing of you don't want to, you know, be the downer on anyone's enthusiasm (laughs) for like then you found you know green fingers but again and I know you've talked a lot about propagation and and Mm. people getting together and 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 social networking being online being a great Mm. form for that come and propagate you know we can share things like that but I I do think that um Again, there is that risk of just occasionally some people being like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know. It's a bit of a gold rush, isn't it? I think that's the thing. It's, it's this sort of feeling of, and I, I, with aroids particularly, it just seems to be this kind of fever. And I look at the plants that somebody's going absolutely crazy over and, you know, importing from Thailand and, you know, going to the effort of getting a phytosanitary certificate, which costs extra money. So, you know, props to them for doing that. Yeah. Um, but I look at the plant and go, I know that it's really rare. But I think you could probably buy something just as beautiful and just as interesting quite cheaply. It wouldn't be that species. But, you know, it's that thing of it's rare, therefore I must have it rather than kind of saying, well, this is a beautiful plant that I can get easily and I'm going to grow. I mean, maybe I'm I'm being really unfair to the aroid crowd. Um, (laughs) But I just sort of worry that that this, this desire for rarity sends people off on a bit of a a hunt that is not necessarily very productive for horticulture as a whole is in it, terms of ending yeah. up shipping stuff cr- way across the world and paying a lot of money for something which oftentimes again with any gold rush there's 
bad practice happening. So mm-hmm. people buying cuttings that don't have a node that aren't actually going to grow. Yeah. And that or that are so white, got so much white variegation that they're going to just going to suffer and die because they're just not viable. Um, so it's not benefiting anyone really in the long term. Um, it's quite terrifying in a way. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think... You know, obviously I work with food. I'm, I'm a private chef as well mm, as doing mm. my herbology, um, which I try to sort of fuse the two together. And I think if you look at how food has um, sort of evolved, particularly late 20th century and, and early this 21st century, you know, there was this trend towards suddenly cheaper cuts of meat mm. instead of, you know, mm. New Zealand grown lamb and, and things like that and locally reared things. And I think it's a lot of that was to do with you know the term heritage and Mm. and learning about the history of that and I think um what could be interesting is is making the history available of more plants that are you know maybe not strictly native maybe they've been here you know they were brought here a couple of hundred years ago but also some of our native plants that we were talking Mm. about ivy earlier and there's a really sort of interesting historical um evidence around ivy and how we used it particularly in like the sort of iron age and things like that even before there there was um i think it was an iron age site out or bronze age site out in um i think it's somewhere in hampshire and in the 80s they did a a study of the pollen that they found Mm. in this old site and i think overwhelmingly like 87 percent of the pollen that they found was ivy pollen Mm. Um, and they don't quite know why. They don't know whether they were sort of bringing it inside in the winter to feed to cattle, or which they don't normally eat. Mm. So, you know, obviously um, ivy berries particularly can be poisonous. Mm. Ivy is used as a medicine. It's used mm. as a cough medicine, but I wouldn't recommend anyone <laughs> go and pick ivy because <laughs> it will make you sick. Yeah. Um, but if you go to a good health food store, they usually have a okay. ivy cough syrup. But um, the... It just the evidence of that is you know and we've had this tradition of you know even the victorians used to bring the ivy inside mm. and decorate at christmas it's mm. this evergreen thing that's always going um and it's it's also known as uh dimorphic so you have the the sort of five pronged smaller leaves and then as it gets bigger you know as it gets reaches the sunlight more because it's a forest creeper i love i i think i mean i think ivy is amazing i love the fact that you get this amazing i mean you know i know with arrows you're always talking about you know juvenile foliage and and the old foliage but you know like ivy does exactly the same thing doesn't exactly. it that's like you people don't really realize that ivy is incredible but i i i have to say i'm impressed that you've got ivy growing and looking well there because i've tried to grow ivy indoors and it don't doesn't like it um, <laughs> that might just be me but um i have to say it's a lovely thing to bring indoors though it is and it's tempting because it's there and it's it's all around us so why not have some indoors uh, yeah if you can grow exactly it. and i'm um, my um my um a friend of mine older friend of mine much older friend of mine she's in her 70s but she decorates her house in every christmas with loads of ivy mm, she just goes mm. outside and brings it in and you know there's never not an abundance of ivy and yet Indeed. we spend money going to like, no, you're you so know right. trying you know we go to our florist and we buy all this you know 
and the, yeah, the poinsettias and things like that, which is just a nightmare. Oh, let's just. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I'd love to go to Mexico one day and see poinsettias growing in Mexico. Oh my god, that would be amazing! It would be amazing, yeah, wouldn't it? Huge. Yeah, things. they're like tree, they're tree-like. Yeah. yeah, I would love to go and see that, but I just don't want one in my house. That's just my thing. I it's, just I've never... worked in a garden centre at mm. Christmas, mm. and the they come in, and we normally had to throw about mm, a fifth to a quarter away yes. of every shipment. Yeah. Um, because they just weren't sellable, um, mm. so I'd like try to take them home, <laughs> like save them. But from even the if bed. you're good at houseplants, I think poinsettias are quite hard. Like it just seems like a real waste of. And they uh, get thrown out. Yeah. Nobody, I don't know anyone who's like, oh yeah, I kept my poinsettia. That's I've like, seen a few. I, I've seen like on social media, I've seen a few people who've managed to get them through to the following year, but they're not red the following year, and you have to do this whole regime of light. Uh, timing to get them to go red again yeah I don't I don't that's a plant I don't really understand why people would want that but again it's I think you know there's a great deal of conservatism in uh, our relation with plant relationship with plants people uh, they they've got things that they are comfortable with yeah and they just get that's what we do we get that plant we have that we you know we have that herb going on to herbs I mean there's yeah. so many her so many edible leaves and interesting herbs that you can grow uh, and 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 eat but like it's quite limited really what people will do with it yeah. to work with it's interesting and I think that's um, one of the things I try to do through my work is you know reintroduce herbs mm. to people because people don't want they're like oh great you know about herbs so we'll hear about some exotic adaptogen like ashwagandha or something mm. like that and I'm like we're going to start with rosemary sage and thyme and everyone's <laughs> like well, we know those why um, and actually because people don't understand the antioxidant properties mm. the anti-inflammatory properties how they're all antivirals they're brilliant to use through the winter well actually i was going to ask you this I said, <laughs> just personal little personal uh, plea here i have been uh, i must have read something about sage being really good for so every day in winter i drink at least one if not two cups of just um sage leaves in boiling water amazing. is that it, I, it seems to be amazing like it yeah. seems to every time i get a cold which is frequently but as soon as i have to start going on that sage tea if i haven't already been drinking it it does seem to kill off the cold really quickly yeah it will it's that, amazing see, that's isn't amazing it? why did you start drinking it was there um i read something i mean i have i've you know gone through uh i must have been in some kind of work related thing doing something on herbs and just reading i got, got a lot of books on herbs so i must have just read something up about sage and just thought why am i why am I not using sage yeah. for my colds? Yeah. And, it, you know, my husband's like, oh, but it tastes disgusting. And I'm like, anything that you have that you start having, like a child having a new food that yeah. you haven't had before, is going to taste weird. Like if you had tea for the first time, it would taste weird. Normal, you know, breakfast tea. Um, you get used to the taste of sage. It's fine. Yeah. And um, it's actually quite... I don't know if you... I find it very delicious, but then I... Um, I've got used to it now. I'm totally used to it. And it just comes out... Just gets picked out of the garden and used and... Do you just say, put it in a cup with Literally... It, well, sometimes it's fresh. Sometimes it's dried. I yeah. will dry a load. Um, do you always And cover, I just cover it with hot... With yeah. boiling hot... Well, not quite boiling hot water and leave it and sometimes I'll wait till it's cold or sometimes I'll just drink yeah. it when it's warm and do you once you've put the hot water do you put a cover on the cup 
no should i do that yes oh do that. my gosh okay Top because tip. because the the strength of the any aromatic herb okay. is in the volatile oils yeah. which obviously escape oh so something tip. like sage is it's very potent anyway anyway so like you, yes you've been noticing the benefits yeah yeah um, but if you can just even if it's like a little saucer that you put mm. on the top mm. the volatile oils will they'll escape in the steam but they sort of bounce up and then back yeah. in so it's you know you'll... and i always feel kind of very thrifty and very kind of pleased with myself when i do yeah. this because i go in the supermarket and i look at the prices of these herbal tea bags and i'm thinking bloody hell i wouldn't pay four quid for that and i think i don't need to pay there's no reason why i would ever buy any of these because i mean and i'm not saying i've i haven't got an amazing herb garden at all i have fortunately i help um run a community herb garden so anything i don't have is usually in there but again it's like you don't need a lot of different things but actually it's an amazing resource why was, would I spend money on those bags absolutely and people don't realise I had I was with someone the other day and they said um, oh I've just pulled out my sage plant and chucked it because it's just it's it was too big it was too prolific mm. and I never use it and I was like I had a, a minus <laughs> a minus break at the table I was like oh god uh, <laughs> why can we go find it is it okay is it he was like no it was a few weeks ago I was like just devastated and and that's the thing because people think sage well I use it with a bit of pork sometimes mm, you know mm. and it's great it's great for digesting fats it's mm. wonderful um but again there's this whole other yep. scope for it and then so what I try to do with the cooking and, and that is 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 to try and bring the two together and looking at historical cookery books which are actually based on the very first herbals that were ever written mm-hmm. you look at the very first cookery books they all tell you to go and look at the herbals written by people like the right. and things like that right so they there was sort of it wasn't uh, such a break at everything food is medicine medicine is food it, it was literally yeah that's so that's a, such a major message isn't it i mean that's you could you we could we could go on about that for a whole a whole day <laughs> yeah. couldn't we uh, well, i think it's it's also there's this crossover i think between you know indoors and outdoors and i know lots of listeners um trying to grow things like lavender and rosemary indoors and I'm always kind of negative about that and like it's not gonna work it's gonna die but I don't know what your take is on that whether it's kind of like well you can bring those things in for a bit and enjoy them but ultimately they are happier outside they are and I I am kind of with you on that and I think you know even if you've got a small window ledge that you can sit them on Mm. outside Mm. They're not, you know, they're, they are hardy to our climate mm, and they do mm. better outside. And mm. I think when you grow herbs, if you can, you know, even if it's a sort of, they're supposed to be growing quite big. They're shrubs, you know, really, yeah, yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. When we're talking about our sort of hardy perennial woody type herbs. Yeah. Um, and if you think about how much you're using herbs, well, I use a lot of herbs. <coughs> so growing them in tiny little pots inside is not going to work for yes, me. I'm yes. very lucky because I've got a tiny bit of flat roof outside. Mm. So I can put things on, on pots mm. there. Mm. Although mm. it's an absolute mess at the moment. But <laughs> it's the time of year. It, it is, is the time of year when everything just looks horrendous. But uh, but if yeah. you've got, it's it's one of those things. And Anna Greenland, um, who was on the panel at mm. the Plant House Festival, we talked about, you know, because she's a, she's an organic food grower she's mm. setting up a market garden mm. in Suffolk and um we would we've talked quite a lot about <coughs> sorry I'm just gonna have to cough no, for a minute right. <coughs> I'll have some more water yes I've had a, another cold which has been a <coughs> is it quite chesty no well it hasn't been up to now I don't know why it suddenly 
just make, made me tiggly. But um, yeah, again, I have I have a cold that lasts about a day, and then I say the sage kicks in, and it's but it has seemed to be particularly bad this winter. I don't know if it's because it's because <coughs> it's been so wet. But normally, I don't get that many colds. But it's probably actually because I'm more tired this winter than I have been in previous winters. Okay, recently. Yeah. So um, your immune system's having to fight a little yeah, bit harder. I think that's what it is. But. Um, Anyway, enough about me moaning. Sorry, interrupting you with my tickly cough. Uh, Where are we talking? Oh, Anna Greenland. Yeah, Yeah. Anna Greenland. So we've talked quite a bit about, you know, can we grow herbs inside? And, you know, there's a lot to be said for, you know, micro herbs and Mm. things like that. Mm. But even then, and we, I went to work for Anna when she was at Soho Farmhouse. And that's actually how we got to know each Mm. other. Because I sort of felt like, well, if I want to be in the kitchen, I need to know how to grow everything. Yes. Which... I think I have a plan for the future, which is that in the future, all chefs will be trained partly in the kitchen and partly in the garden. Mm. Um, because I think it will stop a lot of wastage, actually, if people understand the amount of... There's this false wall, isn't there, between food and gardening? In journalism, very much so, which yeah. I always really kicked against in um, The Guardian, But when I was working at The Guardian. But again, it's just really, really prevalent. And you think... But why can't, if you actually, as a chef, if you understand how to grow stuff, then it massively opens up your horizons. In terms of literally from flavours to um, how you cook with that that produce, because something that's grown properly Mm. is going to taste completely different Mm. from just having it from any sort of supplier. Mm. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of, you know, everything is seasonal now. Well, for those sort of, the ones, the chefs that have really been championing Mm. that for a long Mm. time, and that that has filtered through and down. But uh, it's, it's, for me, it's it's just a kind of, it's a no-brainer also, because when you work in the garden, you work in a kitchen, the skills are quite similar. Yes. You're doing very similar things. A lot of it can be quite repetitive um, in terms of you might be chopping or you might be planting seeds or, you mm. know, a, a production kitchen garden as well is it's hard work. It's really yes. hard work. Yes. And if uh, there's an understanding of how much it's taken to grow that, you're not going to be just throwing anything no, away. Um, true. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I worked um, for a few days. I was very lucky. Um, to uh, get some experience at the River Cafe and mm-hmm. how that was set up by um, Rose and Ruth was kind of phenomenal anyway, just from mm-hmm. so many different mm-hmm. points of view. You know, they've never had less than 50% women in the kitchen. And I think my first day there, I think it was like 80%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I got told off because I was snapping asparagus and he was like, I know there's a natural break, but you can actually break it here. Anyone who snapped asparagus, you can mm-hmm. slap the ends mm-hmm. off nothing goes to waste absolutely yeah. nothing and yeah. it's the same I trained at Ballymaloo in Ireland and um, it's on a 100 acre organic farm and in the kitchens you have these hen buckets everywhere because they've got loads of hens right these are the best fed hens <laughs> they're getting in good the world <laughs> right. so they're providing us with beautiful delicious eggs to cook with every day and we're giving them any bit of food mm. but even the peelings go into making you know jams and chutneys and and other things so not like literally nothing goes to waste um and woe betide you if you get caught trying to throw anything <laughs> i i feel like this whole i mean i think it's true of house plants it's true of gardening it's true of cooking that there's this whole kind of amazing universe of knowledge that that our ancestors had i'm not talking about way back even just our grandparents that somehow that is kind of being 
so, some people are, are, are carrying that on. But there's this whole sort of fount of information that in the last 50 years we're kind of, we've kind of lost, uh, or lots of people have lost. And that I kind of, sometimes when I'm talking to um, people, I kind of feel a freak that I know how to do. And it's not like I'm trying to say, hey, I know how to pickle things or something. <laughs> but I just feel like... I, I wish that everyone knew that I feel like a bit of an idiot kind of evangelist going, you need to learn how to pickle or you need to learn how to propagate houseplants because it just feels like, I don't know, come the apocalypse, this girl's going to, you know, or not come the apocalypse, come like life. Come you need to know what, you yeah. need to know how to do this stuff. And that's why, again, my husband laughs at me because I'm kind of on this kind of, I'm always like feeling like I need to improve myself and get more skills. But I think that's like because I think they're going to come in useful at some point. And I absolutely, I've, I mean, it's, creativity is born out of necessity. And mm. we have only had the period of, you know, I say it in inverted commas, luxury yeah. of this throwaway culture of not having to store things, of not having to. Mm. Our grandparents' generation didn't have yeah. that luxury think of what they were doing and actually incidentally i'm sure you know this but the second world war diet in the uk is one of the most studied diets around the world because mm. it was so healthy despite mm. the powdered eggs and the, the mm. national life <laughs> because people were growing people weren't eating that much meat and they weren't having mm. that much sugar um, and what meat they were having with the cheaper cuts and everything was being stretched a lot mm. further mm. you know we had beautiful orchards in this country everyone was sort of doing their bit and i think and that all goes back to the soil yes. actually it's kind of goes full circle but I'm completely with you I think but it, it's the, the I don't think the knowledge has been lost it's just been sort of pushed to the side in yeah. terms of this kind of you know it's, it's a false economy basically because everything has been done for convenience's sake mm. so but we live in a really time poor society so actually what we're compromising on and I was working in a state school in Hackney actually as um as a cook and it was me and another cook and we were cooking for about 360 students every day mm. and it was part of a scheme of healthy eating and um, the kids had a garden so they'd grow rhubarb and things like that and we'd make it into crumble and so they could see yes. that kind of, yeah. and, and then we were doing a lot with vegetables and, and trying to keep the cost down. And actually they got rid of that scheme really sadly because because of costs cutting in education. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, what was happening is they're more standardized testing. And so they're cutting down the dining times for eating as well. And then... <laughs> so it's really easy, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, it's, and it's this myth that like, you know, we can all work you know have all the hours in the day to work 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 and then we can get our ready-made meals as we go home and that's that's convenient yes. but it's it's you lose something and this is I think probably it comes back to the house plants and gardening and things like that it's about nurturing something it's about caring for something it's about taking a bit of time to yep. be considered and slow down mm. and I think that's part of the rise and this is something I talked to um Dr. Catherine Horwood, who was on the panel and mm. has wrote, written a positive history. And, um, and that's, uh, it, we talked about this because I was, when I was preparing for this talk at the Houseplant Festival, I was just sort of going through history and like, when were the times in history where houseplants were really, really popular? And the first time was obviously during the Victorian age, mm. which was part of 
the expansion of the empire and it was a status thing. Yeah. But it was also with the background of the Industrial Revolution and mm-hmm. people going to mm-hmm. factories, leaving leaving the land. We were mainly an agricultural society and coming into the cities. Yes. And then this explosion of this fascination with nature and, and going fern hunting on the Jurassic Coast. Yes, and, the you know, ferns. Oh my gosh, the madness of the ferns. Exa- and, and flower pressing and creating your own herbariums, you know. Mm. And, and I think what we're in now is the midst of a, a digital revolution and it's moving much, much faster than, than <clears throat> we are evolving to keep up with it. And that's yeah. the sort of yeah. quite scary thing about it. And that mm. people are feeling overwhelmed and they're feeling burnt out and all the rest of it. And I just find it interesting that, again, then we see this drive towards everything back towards nature. Yeah. And it's that, I think nature is a, it's a comforter and it's, mm. it's, it's a wonderful thing that that is, is the way. It's just making sure that it's not turned into into a commodity at the same time. Yes, and I think you know that there's a there is a joy to saying, take an ordinary plant, take a bit of ivy out of your garden, and mm. or or just a bog standard plant. Sorry, I'm just going to blow my nose. Uh, the cold continues. Um, <laughs> and taking that plant and just nurturing it, and and you know, don't make your first house plant a rare variegated aroid because like you probably don't have the skill set yet. You probably don't understand enough to look after that plant. And it's really nice that you've got the um, power and money to go out and buy that straight away. But actually, like, and it sounds, because I say I've got so many plants, what am I talking about? But actually, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment because you're going to get that plant and it's going to die or you're going to get that expensive cutting. And because you... Um, are, are so desperate you've bought it from somebody who's not following be- best practice it's going to die and then then what are you going to do you've lost your your you, money yeah and you could and have started out with something a bit more and also your confidence in and the fact that you might yes. you know like oh well you know and I, I remember sort of <laughs> early early to like early like 2001 2002 going off to university and like oh yeah i want a house plant and you know the only place to get it really was like ikea yes and you get if you know and they just die within minutes and then i just thought i'm just rubbish i'm just really Mm. rubbish at growing things Mm. and i'm never going to try again so when i started again the only thing i felt safe with was was ivy i was like yeah okay well i'm not gonna kill that and then i took it to scotland and it just died yeah. within minutes it was it was a soft southern ivy it wasn't it wasn't yeah prepared. you need the tough scottish ivy yeah yeah it's in, and i think uh that that journey of discovery is you know perhaps people go on it by buying the rare aroid first but um you know that is i mean and that's what our you know forefathers would have gone through that that um journey of a failure and getting things wrong on the way to learning how things work and there's just less of a risk like we're not gonna nothing's gonna happen if we kill our house plants but you know if your crop failed then you know you're in dire stakes um so I, i think that's that's part of the journey but also you know we've got access to this huge massive information i guess what annoys me though is that there's so much poor information out there you know, if you Google houseplants, you just come up with all these ridiculous articles that don't really tell you anything. Or they're just, there's numerous, numerous articles saying exactly the same wrong thing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of depressing. But I do think when, um, like going back to the plant healthy scheme that mm. Defra are doing, I'd, I'd, and it's going to be like a logo, they're going to introduce it at Chelsea, I think. Right. So I think that's where they're going to unveil it. 
um, and it would be something to ask Defra and, and, and mm. Nicola, but I do think that whether that comes with a standard of the people that are going to have that, whether it's in their shops or with particular nurseries or whatever, mm. <clears throat> whether that, you know, is also a sign that actually that these are people that know about plants and will be able to tell you the best way. And, and the garden centre I worked in, actually, even though it was a commercial garden centre and you know, there were certain things like in terms of wastage plastic that comes in mm. and all of that stuff. These were people that actually, they did know about mm. plants as well. Mm. So, and, and I think it is about supporting your local garden centres. If, if they're really? a good garden centre and they've been there for a long time, there's mm. a reason for that. Like, yes. instead of looking something up online, we used to have people come in and be like, you know, with their phones, oh, I'm growing this at home. And one guy who'd grown an avocado um, from an avocado seed, and it was like two and a half meters tall. Mm. It was getting too big for his. He came, you know, <laughs> he's like, What should I do with this? And we were like, Well, I mean, I've never seen one that big. So. Um, and then another lady who came in with um, pictures from her allotment, and I think she'd grown up in the Ukraine, but had been over here for sort of 60 odd years. And and she was like, I found this. Um, I can bring some in to show you, but I think I can eat it, but I'm not sure. Um, and it was actually, it was actually an edible weed, but just mm, one that we mm. don't necessarily eat here where they eat more in Eastern, in yeah. Eastern European countries. And and that was great that people felt that they could come in and have that relationship as yes, well. And yeah. I think, you know, because online is just so much easier and we just think it's it's so simple, but part of part of what you do with your podcast is that you're communicating with people you're creating there's no nothing better than an actual person asking an actual person that is a that is very very true and you know you always get an answer you tend to get an answer that way that is personalized to you and your what you're actually asking as opposed to searching for something online and you get the kind of bog standard answer so yeah that is a great thing and it's a great resource to be able to go to those places and ask for advice the most depressing thing is when you go into a garden center and ask for help and they 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 know nothing and then it's just it's really depressing you could have just as easily walked into starbucks and asked them yeah oh my gosh yeah so when i do find a really like knowledgeable plants person i'm like okay you're going to be a while now (laughs) you're talking to me and helping me out so um, yes but uh no it's it's and i what i really hope happens you know in this whole brexit scenario we're in right now what i really hope happens as a good consequence of whatever's going to go down is that there is some uh opening up of british like there's new blood coming into the nursery industry and growing houseplants in this country wouldn't that be amazing if we increase the number of production nurseries producing this stuff Absolutely. And I feel like that across the board in terms of I've I've got this like dream where I'm like, our market towns are going to come back to being market towns. And, you know, um, up in East Lothian, uh, where I lived in Scotland, um, it's filled. It's a very rich agricultural area. Mm. Traditionally, it's actually where the combine harvester came from. And it's the soil is like an it's almost a purple color. It's like it's beautiful because it's a you've got three volcanic plugs up there so it's it's mineral rich although Mm. commercial farming has done its best Mm. (laughs) um but it's also filled with because it was rich agriculturally it was you know you have these old estates with uh, walled gardens basically I started to see some really phenomenal stuff when I was up there. So there was uh, Pyrus Botanicals. If anyone wants to check them out, please do. They're amazing. Pyrus Botanicals. Yeah, so they... um, 
they uh, are two uh, former art students who met whilst working in a florist in Edinburgh. And they were kind of, you know, shocked by the amount of flowers that were coming in, you know, lots of tulips coming in from Holland mm, and mm. all the Netherlands, I should say, and in all these other places. And they thought, well, what about our native flowers and species? Anyway, they now rent out, a, they're very successful, they rent out a walled garden, um, one of these old walled gardens, mm. they have their office there, and they create, they just grow all these, like, native flowers, but also, yeah, some other flowers, but it's all, it's all grown there. Yeah. And you can, I've had friends who, um, you know, when they got married, would just go and pick up a couple of buckets of flowers and do their own yeah. decorations with yeah. it and things like that. So that is starting to happen in another walled garden. They're growing tea. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's all done organically. And, yeah. and these, um, these walled gardens, the soil is amazing in them mm. because, because it was just, um, they've not been used for growing things for a long time. But when they were used, they used to use, uh, just horse manure and things like that so they Mm. haven't been touched for a long time so there's and there are so many walled gardens in this country that are not being used or utilized so that's another way of bringing you know creating ideas around that and people being able to do that i think also what the other thing that i get gets me kind of twitchy is this whole thing of you know i hear from so many listeners who live in urban areas and they can't access rainwater um for certain plants they're growing they can't you know they've uh, I've just had a question from a listener who um, has all these leaves that come into her covered porch that she wants to do something with. And I'm like, well, you really need to like bag them up and use them for leaf mold, but you haven't got anywhere to store it. So there's just like, I wish that there was community composting, community resources with people in urban areas to be able to go, okay, um, can I get some rainwater from somewhere i don't know i don't know how these things work i don't know what it would look like but i kind of think we're we need more outlets for people who are in urban areas who are catching on to this whole i want to be nurturing plants allowing them to have outlets and there are obviously lots of community schemes and volunteer schemes but i think we need more of that I think we do. I think you're absolutely right. There are some great things going on in London and having mm. been away from the city for six years, I have to say it, the change is mm. incredible mm. and the thirst for knowledge and people mm. wanting to know um, about things and, and wanting to get involved in things. But there are also some brilliant, there are some brilliant schemes in each borough and each borough does contain loads of green space. So yes. that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's just making that more accessible. And I think also having borough councils supporting that in some way, mm. um, you know, it's it has to, it's great that people can set up these schemes, but then a lot depends on funding and, and yes. people being organised. Yeah. And as we know, you know, as soon as you get into an urban environment, people are <laughs> yes. really busy yeah. as we all are. And it's, mm. it's, it's just, yeah finding the right people and, and the right tell me about it. i mean as i said to you i i helped to i mean in a very minor way help to run this herb garden which is on a roundabout weirdly it's a very nice roundabout but it is Amazing. on a roundabout <clears throat> and you know we have volunteers who we do have maintenance sessions and stuff and people often when we're doing that walk past and go oh and they they assume that like the council funds it all and we're like no <laughs> so it belongs the council gave it to, to us basically to maintain and um it's just done by volunteers and lots of people love it but lots of people still don't know about it and you're trying to sort of say yes you can come and pick things and to educate people but it's 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 hard it's an uphill struggle to get people to um to come and help and and so on but you know that's 
that's life, isn't it? Anything you do with volunteering, yeah. I it's going to be a... things have to start, what I've seen, where I've seen the difference mostly is, is with kids. Yes. Yeah. You, you get hold of them. <laughs> yes, you get hold of the kids. It's so true. Because they, so they really want that. They really, mm. really want to know. Mm. And they, they get so into it. I've got, um, I used to have 10 nieces and nephews. <laughs> and that, you know, I remember being a kid. Mm. You just want to be as soon as you're outside you're just kind mm. of there's a whole world to explore not everyone has access to out, outside yep. space and i mm. appreciate that and there are there are um groups in london that are trying to to sort of fix that and i did some work recently with um a company called studio cultivate and they go into um state schools all across london they also work at chelsea physic um doing these wonderful workshops for kids so they work with kindergarten age all the way up to sort of i think it's year four or five and um they do um teaching about nature but through storytelling Mm, mm. um and i think it's just such a wonderful thing and they try and get the kids into some green space at once a week Mm. and get their hands in soil and learning about okay this is a seed what do we need for a seed to grow and you know and it's just uh, so that there is that. And, and the kids remember stuff, you know, kids mm. as young as four are like, yeah, you need soil and you need water. And, you know, it's amazing what they take in, isn't it? There really is. And once you've got that sort of ingrained in them from a young age, it, even if they forget it for a little bit yeah. in their teenage years yeah. and 20s. Yeah they will come back to it. Yeah. And I think that is that is the crucial thing. And I, you know, I love the whole, um, you know, I, I love it when kids are like, oh yeah, that's a so-and-so plant. You're just like, I'm so pleased that you, that's amazing that you recognise that. Like taking, it's like, I always think it's like putting on a pair of like plant glasses. If you've got your plant glasses on, you'll be walking down the road, you'll be going, oh wow, look at that, you know, that, uh, I don't know, uh, gallant soldier or some weirdly named weed. Yeah. Or look at that. Oh, wow, that's an avocado tree that somebody's growing in London. That's amazing. We're, and But most people don't have plant glasses on. Yeah. I mean, whenever, wherever I'm going to somebody's house, I'm like, check, checking out what they're going <laughs> on. And it might be nothing, but I'm always looking for people with interesting plants and looking in, like, barber's shop windows where there's some kind of weird plant. Because I've got my plant glasses on at all times. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. I thought moving... I, when I left London, I was like, I am leaving. I'm never <clears throat> seeing you again. Goodbye, mm. city. You know, mm. I'm a country girl. I'm off. And, um, you know, life happens and then I'm back here. And I thought, oh, God, how am I... How, God, I don't know if I can... Mm. How's this going to be? I don't know mm. what it's going to be like. And my whole experience of London is different because mm. I spent time working with plants, learning about plants. I can't walk anywhere now without, you know, even if I walk down a street where there are some trees, you know, just they could be London Plains or whatever. Or I'm like, the roots of these trees are like underneath the concrete right now. I'm, mm. you know, it's a whole different way. And then just knowing about weeds, which is the wonderful thing about herbs, mm. is that so many of our native herbs that you know denigrated um, we go, we're gonna go off on a weed podcast now because i love i mean i just love this stuff i think there's just so many awesome weeds that i could just talk about all day and they've got the best names like so I many know. of them and they're, they're the amazing. ones that kids play with like sticky willy yes you know but yeah. actually that's a really potent medicinal herb that we, yes. you know yeah so um and being i sort of i live near the river so i'm really lucky because there's a whole load of mm. other stuff going on there as mm. well but you if you're looking for the green stuff, you 
and you're sort of keyed into that it's not even that I'm looking for it it's just a kind of second nature thing you know yeah, it's, it's like yeah. it is it's there it's there it's ingrained in you and I think whether you start out with houseplants or whether you start out with outdoor gardening or however you start I think then it just colors you and makes you makes changes your attitude to everything and I have you know I have heard had people who are kind of outdoor gardeners say to me as a result of listening to the podcast they suddenly sort of wake up and go hang on indoor plants and then they kind of they're really coming around to the to the idea of having plants indoors whereas they thought they couldn't grow them indoors well of course you can you just need to yeah try and have a go so i think that's that's a really exciting thing about anything to do with plants is that once you've got your plant glasses on yeah you go and i mean house plants so there's such an incredible there's incredible stuff going on in your house plants all the time like just amazing stuff which i love learning about and i think you know there's now i think there's such an acceptance that that knowledge is not it's not a bad thing to have that knowledge about your plants like you can go as geeky as you like absolutely and people who listen to my podcast are still like this is amazing i mean you know botanical latin i thought that was going to be the least popular episode ever <laughs> like i've done a podcast on botanical latin but no people really enjoyed that episode and got a lot out of it uh, and it's still one of my most popular episodes so it's yeah yeah that's cool that's i'm really pleased that that's the the way it is and um, i think that's it goes to show that when people understand it, it gives a depth of understanding to something that yeah. that <clears throat> helps you to form a wider relationship with the plant it's not mm. just about how it looks it is about a relationship like i'm sure we all talk to our plants <laughs> i can say that in safe company right <laughs> yeah, totally. and some of my plants are he's and some of them are she's and some of them mm. are they's yeah. but like it's that thing and it that that is what creates a difference and i think with you know it's pretty scary if you read the papers these days mm. it's pretty scary if you watch the news um and we feel like we're heading speedballing towards a, a climate crisis that that no one who has actual power is doing anything about no matter mm. how much the rest of us cut down on plastics or do anything like that but i think having that relationship whether it's with you know one succulent or yeah. you know the ivy growing outside your front door or whatever it is if you're able to to see that and know a little bit about that it it actually i think it shifts your consciousness i that's personally what i feel i don't mm. know whether that's an idealistic way of looking at it mm. but i think you know things start at home and sometimes you know it can be so scary to think about what's going on on the other side of the world and how how climate is affecting in much greater ways than than what we're seeing here in the uk mm. although obviously we're seeing changes here in the uk um, and if we can start to just bed in and if we can start to open up that mm. those crevices in our mind to sort of forming a relationship because that's what it's about it's about yeah. it's, it's about getting back and having something that's tactile and 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 seeing the benefits of that for the plants and for ourselves um then maybe that will have an impact on on something wider i mean yeah. that's how i choose to see it and that's because i have to because I yeah you've I got just... to stay positive like, yeah you have to stay positive completely and you have to hope that um more and more people are going to become their, their their consciousness is going to change because we've got to as you say we've got to stay positive um and it i think that's where the whole house plants for mental health thing comes in and that yeah. um they do i if i go into a, a somewhere where there's no plants it just doesn't feel quite right to me it always feels yeah. a little bit kind of like sterile could, oh, looking yeah sterile. not quite not quite 
not quite fully Complete, formed. yeah. But, um, you know, I think uh, we, we're in the early stages of... I think, you know, I think in 20, 30 years' time, we might... We might be in a very different... I don't know. I'm getting all, I'm getting all existential but now. But you know, I always use this example. Like, do you remember how like, people used to view acupuncture and yoga? Like, mm. it was very on the margins. Mm. It was very on the fringes. And healthy, healthy eating. And, you know... Yes. Uh, and look how mainstream very those things true. have become. And, yeah, some people just went into it because it was the trendy thing to do. It was mm. the new thing to do. And then, actually, once they started doing it, they realised this really works for me this this mm. feels great yes and there is still a large section of that world that is geared towards image and and whatever however anybody gets into something mm. if the the truth of it is there if the benefits can be seen they will be seen yes yeah. um so yeah think, there's a lot of things that used to be quite marginal i mean i remember i'm not ve- uh, vegetarian or vegan but my husband's vegetarian i remember 20 years ago going to stay in a vegan bed and breakfast in wales and there'd be literally they did an evening meal which was this amazing vegan evening meal and i remember literally there'll be other people staying there who'd be like in tears because it was the first time they'd eaten somebody else's food ever as a vegan because like you just couldn't go out oh, as a vegan wow. 20 yeah, years ago and it wasn't it wasn't and they'd just be like this is just so amazing <laughs> this food's food so good and i haven't had to cook it whereas now the idea of that is ridiculous isn't it you're like of course anyone who's yeah. vegan can go and you know go to the supermarket and get a whole range of wonderful stuff as it should be um so yeah it change is possible and it's happening so you know that's are positive exactly and i think it's just you know not it's it's just being aware of the ways in which we're doing that you know and i think that's because there's a there's good ways to be you know into plants and and all the rest of it and with veganism and which i totally think is amazing i was cooking a lot of greek food recently on a job and i realized like most greek food there is some meat but Mm. a lot of greek food is actually vegan Mm, mm. and i was like do people know about this <laughs> like they did because we're all thinking about like the newest vegan this and that and tofu yeah. and da, 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 yeah. da, da, and how's that putting strains on the environment and stuff and again you don't want to be that person who's like with your hand up going i've just been thinking about um bombing and the fires in kuala lumpur da, da. And, you know yeah. like the air yeah. quality from you know you don't want to be that you don't want to be that person but also you're kind of like I, you know, it's we can't afford to turn a blind eye to anything, and I think, like you said, it's easy for us in our kind of bubbles to think, yeah, okay, things are things yeah. getting better, but you know, you just never know. I think you have to do what you're passionate about and hope that you can bring people along with you. <laughs> so, just to finish, if if somebody listening to this is into house plants but they're just thinking I don't really know where to go with this whole sustainability thing and this whole plant health thing. What sure. are the what are the kind of the key things that people the three things that people should be doing now to kind of get themselves on the right path in terms of sustainability. I think I think listening to your podcast obviously is a very good stuff <laughs> and the two issues the the, the 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 few episodes you've done on sustainability i think next year when the plant healthy scheme rolls out that will be something to um that, that will be something visual and tactile mm. that people can sort of key into um you can look at the plant health portal online um it hasn't got loads of specific things about house plants at the the moment but what i would do more than ordering your plants online i know there are some really reputable brilliant people Mm. online selling house plants but i think if it's your first house plant 
go and find a good nursery. Mm. You know, go, or talk to a friend who is growing houseplants and has done so quite successfully and talk about, you know, just how did they get into it? What, you know, and start simple, like you said. Don't, it doesn't have to be the most beautiful, stunning, incredible, you know, I started, I remember I got a calathea and then I, I killed it within. <laughs> Well, how many of those plants are people killing? I mean, you know, you, the one the one they sell in um, Ikea, the Orbifolia, with the huge, massive leaves, the number of those I see on people's feeds, and I'm like, oh, God, you've just bought that, haven't you? It's going to be dead within six months. It's a really hard plant. It, it makes me cry. I know. Like, I actually say I killed mine. My mum, who is just amazing, she did somehow manage to bring it oh, back to life. Okay. They are tougher than people think, actually. Like, yeah. they can, like, literally be cut down to the ground. And then if you have page, I had one that was literally, like, one tiny leaf. And, and it's, it's coming back quite nicely. But, um, yeah, it's it's a tricky journey. It is. And I would say also, like, don't be afraid. You know, I think that's one of the things that when people come towards plants they can feel a bit like oh god I don't want to you know mm. kill it but um obviously over most house plants die from overwatering as opposed to underwatering I think that's the most common thing but mm. I think in terms of sustainability yeah f- find a good nursery that you can form a relationship with, with with where the people seem knowledgeable where they can tell you the provenance mm. of the plants um definitely find you know good sources of reliable information online um and and talk to friends that yeah who who grow themselves i think also propagation might be one step too far if you're just starting but it's a great way to get into it mm-hmm. um and if you want you know if you've got a friend who, who grows prolifically or you can find someone online who might be willing to sort of give you a plant even that's that's there's some amazing swapping going on actually there's just some really really um wonderful houseplant groups where loads of swaps are happening and yeah that that seems to me to be a great way to get a plant um yeah and i think also if you the other thing i always think is if you're going to buy a plant don't buy the massive huge mature plant buy a young plant because i think that gets less disappointing if the tiny plant dies but also (laughs) i think you've got more chance of kind of molding it to your way of living do you know what i mean like a big mature plant is already kind of set in its ways yeah, I know that. I'm also just a cheapskate, and I don't want to pay a lot of money for big yeah, plants. That's the exactly. other thing. Something that costs two or three quid that you yeah. could like. <laughs> you very can... simple. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think all of that, and also just basic plant hygiene, which you can educate yourself really mm. easily on. Mm. Which is just about you know, if you've got something that's it's going to lose its leaves at some point, just to, making sure that everything is clear and clean, and um, you know where your soils come from, and mm. and all of that, and you know if it does come in plastic please don't throw throw the plastic tub away and you Mm. know make sure that you can keep those um because you you never know it might start with one plant and then before you know it how true this is very true i was actually thinking of doing like a a tweet a day of my house plants and then i thought that's going to take me the whole of next year (laughs) but i might do it actually i might do that for for 2020 i think i'm thinking like a house plant a day and see how long it takes me to get through all my house plants Um, that sounds like fun this is going back to something you were saying earlier this is a book my great grandfather wrote oh wow Um, he wrote a few books and it was about starting starting small and I used this I opened this book actually when I was going through a really difficult personal time and it made me feel so much better but also just in terms of plants so he says everyone who writes gardening books is morally bound I think to help the beginner someone is always beginning 
there is also it's a rose book so he does talk about roses but there is also a debt to the roses for some are so much more accommodating than others and to start with the difficult ones is like taking the wrong turning on setting out for a long journey how lightheartedly we go forward the mind full of pleasurable anticipation eager to discover fresh delights keen to perceive new points of interest that every bend of the road brings into view um but when it is forced upon us that the way we have taken leads us not to where our hopes are set, but that each step takes us further from the goal in mental view, how different it all seems, how long and weary is the way back, how dull, how void of interest, that path that seems so bright, so gay, so full of sunshine. <laughs> and then he says, um, he said this wonderful thing, and I have to find it. I actually probably written it down somewhere. I'll find it. What's the name? What's the name? What's his name? H.H. Thomas. Oh, that's a lovely thing to have. And what a beautiful cover it's got on it. Yeah, he was amazing. He was really prolific. So he, um, his father was actually born on Anglesey. um, And he went to work on the local estate when he was just a a wee lad. And uh, ended up becoming Queen Victoria's head veg gardener in Windsor. And then this was his son who went into to banking and then decided that was rubbish. <laughs> and uh, and then career went to changer. Bank. That's that's. I a, mean, oh, it's okay. always happening. Yeah. You know? um, okay, so this is what he said. His his conclusion on how to begin well is for, so for the novice rose grower, but this could be for any plant grower mm. is he'd suggest for the rose grower to start with both climbing and dwarf roses, the latter for delight, the former to captivate the promise of an abundant blossoming to come. So basically, when beginning with plants, find something delightful, that which brings you delight, a verb, which is to please someone greatly or a noun meaning great pleasure, that will help you climb out of whatever ending you've had to endure and let it lead you into the light and then to start small the smallest beginnings can lead us to prolific growth and blossoming oh that's so lovely that and that really sums up my own philosophy because i see so many people who i'm sort of think yeah you're buying that plant because you think it's the cool thing and actually just be driven by what what makes your heart sing what what brings you joy and that might be like the, the most unfashionable plant but if it's bringing you joy and making you happy then I mean, that's why I love the, the sort of the Gesneriad family, which is very much uh, out in the cold style wise, the sort of the uh, streptocarpus and things. But I love them. So I'm going to keep on growing. Them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and again, it's that thing. If you go into a nursery, you're going to you might be drawn to something completely unexpectedly yes. yeah. as opposed to looking at images online and thinking yeah. that looks kind of cool in this room mm. that I've seen. Go in, see mm. what you're drawn mm. to, because it could be something unexpected it's very true <laughs> well Maya thank you so much thank we've, you. we've we've ranged here all over the place there but that's cool that's as anyone who listens to my podcast knows this is what happens when we get talking but um it's a delight to talk to you today so thank you very thank much thank you very so much to Maya for inviting me to her home and giving me delicious homemade hot chocolate to drink which was amazing 
best hot chocolate ever. And now we've just got time for question of the week before this mega episode closes. And it comes from Laura, who's got a trouble with a dumb cane. Diefenbakia, Diefenbakia, oh, there's a million pronunciations for that one, but it's the same thing. It's a dumb cane, a beautiful foliage plant that many people love, but it is worth being aware with this one that the leaves are a little bit toxic. So you don't want to be letting your pets or children uh, grab hold of the leaves of this one. And if you are repotting it, it's worth putting some gloves on if you have particularly sensitive skin. Anyway, the problem is this. The plant has yellowing leaves. It's a common story at this time of year. This one was bought a couple of months ago, Laura tells me, and it started to drop leaves uh, which have turned yellow, gone pale and then fallen off. She knows the plant's a bit pot bound and looking at the picture I can see, yes, Laura, you're absolutely right. There's a lovely little mesh of roots around the outside of the root ball showing not a great deal of soil this plant is definitely looking for new space to grow into so she's been trying hard not to overwater um and not making making sure that it's not sitting in water but she's finding that these yellowing leaves are still happening so what's going on well i think that you've you've hit the nail on the head laura the plant is a little bit pot bound and what moisture there is, it, the plant's finding it hard to absorb the moisture that's there. Um, and so it's it's kind of shifting between being waterlogged and being too dry. And this is what happens when you get a pot bound plant. They just can't regulate the amount of moisture so well because there isn't enough spare soil in the pot. So you get this situation of kind of I'm waterlogged. No, I'm too dry. No, I'm waterlogged. No, I'm too dry because the water is just running through or pooling in the bottom. So what to do? Well, I would recommend that you should repot this plant. I would say I would. it's probably safe to leave it for another month or so, Laura, till you get to sort of late, mid to late February. Um, the plant's not going to die in the intervening period and it might cause a bit of stress if you try to pot it now during um, the dormant period. But, you know, it depends. If it keeps going downhill, then, then go ahead and repot because it's better to repot than to lose the plant completely. But it would be better to wait until it starts into active growth again. The rest of the plant's actually looking pretty healthy. So I don't think this is too much of a problem. I think it can cling on for a bit longer until you're ready to repot. When you do repot, the, uh, the usual rules apply. Only pot it into a slightly larger pot and tease out those roots because otherwise they're just going to end up going round in a circle and they're not actually going to grow into the new compost so well. But I think that's the problem with this plant. It's a really common problem at this time of year. Every plant that you have will be developing a few yellowing leaves. Um, these foliage plants just do that this time of year. There's less resources around, therefore they've got less need for the energy factories that are their leaves. So they're going to drop a few. It's an efficiency procedure, which the plants do. You can understand why. It's not something to go too panicky about unless all the leaves start doing that so keep a close eye on your plants and uh, with this dumb cane I think it should be fine once it's into a new pot Laura and I really hope that helps it's a lovely looking plant I'll post a picture in the show notes um it's a plant that is relatively easy to look after oftentimes when you buy one you'll find that it's been potted up and it will just be bursting out of that pot so oftentimes when you first buy a plant it's worth having a look at the root ball seeing what's going on whether it's potted into the right kind of mix and if it is not potted into the right kind of mix and or it is already root bound then repot straight away there's no harm in doing that 
the plant's going to be in shock anyway moving to your house so uh, yeah repotting is only going to help it if things aren't quite right down below from the beginning so that is the dumb cane in summary i haven't done an episode on that plant maybe that's one that i should look at i've got such a long list of plants i need to cover <laughs> but thank you laura for your question i hope that helps and if you've got a question for on the ledge you know what to do do what laura did send me a lovely detailed message with uh lots of pictures as well is great to on the ledge podcast at gmail.com for this week i'll be back next friday but i hope that you have an absolutely fan dabby dozy week take care plant fans bye the music you heard in this week's episode was roll jordan roll by the joy drops I Snossed, I Lost by Dr. Turtle and Take Me Higher by Jazar. All the tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. See janeperot.com for details.